Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. My name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor here. And I'm really glad to see you guys have joined us today. Last Sunday, we celebrated our three-year anniversary as a church. And so our church is, I would say, on the newer side. And that was a fun celebration. Uh, kind of, we, we spent some time reflecting on where God has brought us and showed some fun pictures from the early days. And uh, now we're turning into September and start starting a new year of church life together. And I'm excited about that. Wanted to give you a quick update about my health this week. I had some, some challenges during the middle of the week, or actually at the beginning, and I got some real intense abdominal pain that was pretty severe that uh, lasted a few days and it kept increasing. And so I eventually went to the ER and uh, they ran a whole bunch of tests and didn't find anything abnormal. And so um, the, the pain and some of the problems I'm experiencing are, have continued through the week, I think at a, a decreasing amount. So we're, at the moment we're just trying to wait and see what's, what's we're trying to figure out what I'm experiencing. And uh, it's been a very, very difficult, very painful week. And um, so I wanted to let you know that because I wanted to just ask if you'd pray for me and pray for our family. It's really, it's really affected our family life, um, my ability to work and to, to do stuff for church and all that. And so been definitely been a tough week. There was a, um, I mean, I haven't had coffee in a week, if that tells you anything about how serious it is. So, <laughs> so I know you can pray for that, I guess. Um, but yeah, so I appreciate your prayers and especially for our family as well. My wife, my kids have had some other sicknesses as well. So she's been the resident medical director of the house for everybody for days and days. And I really appreciate that. So, um, all right, let me, let me jump into our message for today. We are in a series called Risk and Reward. And there's a lot of risks in the Christian life. If you're a Christian, maybe you've felt like you've been on the edge of, of some risky decisions. Sometimes we wonder if the rewards will pay off because God asks us, well, really tells us to do some things that are pretty different than what we want to do. And man, is, is it, is it, are the rewards of really following God and following the Bible, they're going to pay off if we obey every step of the way. And so we're looking in this series, we've been walking through the letter, uh, 2 Timothy in the Bible, and it was a letter about keeping the faith over the long run. And this letter was written by an old seasoned pastor, a church starter named Paul. And he was a guy that he did finish well, he did make it to the end. And he's writing to a young pastor who's in some developing ministry settings. And so the first week when we, when we started in chapter one, we looked at one of, one of the risks that we run being Christ's followers is that we might be ashamed. We might experience a lot of shame from other people. Another risk, chapter two, is uh, we might risk, we, we really risk suffering. Actually, that, that's more of an expectation we should have. One of the phrases we looked at last week was that we need to endure hardship, suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But in both cases, even though the risks of obeying Christ are quite high, we have seen how the rewards really do far outweigh the risks. So it's really hard. It's hard to make it to the end of your life and to finish well, to keep the faith. It's really hard to make it 
to God's doorstep. Imagine finishing your life, making it all the way to God's doorstep, but you have no shame. And you can stand before God, be approved by him. And there's a, there's a section, what we're going to look at today, second half of chapter 2, there's a section about this letter that's dedicated to avoiding arguments. Which is kind of an interesting transition of thought. It seems that if we slip into disputes and quarrels, we might jeopardize the rewards that God has in mind for us. We might disqualify ourselves. So let's jump into chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Paul writes, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. So he says, remind them, charge them before God. He's, like, like I said, he's writing to a young pastor. Some translations say solemnly charge. Like, put this intense, heavy command on, on the people under you not to fight about words. This is a really serious command. So what, what kind of words might people fight about? Have you ever been in an argument where you're like, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. No, I didn't say, that's not what I said. Yeah, I heard you. I heard what you said. Yeah, well, if we would have had a tape recorder going, you would know that I, what I said was right. I've, I've been in a lot of arguments where we just, just kind of just dispute about what was said in the conversation. I once got into an argument with my five-year-old daughter about what type of animal an orca is, whether it was like a whale, a fish, or a shark. And uh, I can't remember what it was, but I, I was wrong, it turns out. <laughs> and my five-year-old, they, they watch so many nature shows that you don't fight about animals with kids, okay? So they, they, they learn stuff. Um, here's a, I, it's, re, it's just really, really easy to argue about petty things, about words that were said, about ideas. Um, here, here's, a, here's a quick 10-second video from a movie about siblings that argue together. Maybe you've been in a situation like this, or maybe you've experienced this. Sometimes, you know, siblings can do this, they can just argue back and forth. It's amazing how long a yes, yeah, no, yes I did, no I didn't, can go back and forth. And that, that happens with siblings. I've actually seen adults do that same kind of thing too, where they just argue, it's like, yeah, no, yeah, no. And uh, I've, I've been in those arguments too, just, and the more, the more you argue, the more you just firmly root yourself in whatever your opinion is. Like, you're like never going to change my mind, no matter what happens in this argument. So it's really easy for us to argue at work. Maybe there's people that, man, they just get under your nerves and there's just arguments that happen. You just always see it the opposite way. Or maybe you argue with your relatives and there's just difference of opinion there constantly. It's really, really easy to have disputes in marriage because... One of the spouses gets offended or gets frustrated about something and it ignites a conflict and as soon as that starts we just can fall into disputes and quarrels we easily fall into fighting about words and we fight about different things that we fight about maybe are about what happened you know we have a disagreement about we have both have a perception about what happened earlier and we disagree like that's not what happened no i know what happened i was there yeah i was there too and we argue about that. Maybe we see the situation differently. Or maybe there's an argument about the best course of action moving forward. I have really strong, particular opinions about what happens next. There's just, in addition to that, there's just a lot of competing ideas in our world right now. There's a lot of disagreement about what's even true. What's true about people? What's true about 
humans and marriage and sexuality, what's true about the Bible, what's, we just, it's really easy to, to fall into disputes. And uh, I, I'm going to admit right now, this topic has been a big weak spot in my life because I tend to be very rigid in how I view things. And once I, once I focus my mind on something, Aaron, you know, graciously will say that there's like a good side to this. Like I, if I'm convicted about something that's real and true, it's really good because nobody will change my mind. But sometimes I'm really rigid about stuff that doesn't matter and sometimes it's stuff that's wrong. And so I, I, this, is a, this has been a weak spot for me. As soon as we start arguing, as soon as we start to dispute with people, this verse says it's useless. And it leads to the ruin of those who listen. He's saying disputes and arguments and quarrels have absolutely no value, no purpose whatsoever. No good comes from it. And here, here's what I've, here's, this has been my experience. When disputes start, the love drains out. When disputes start, this is, this, I think this is why, but this is partly why it's so useless. Disputes start and the love drains out. We keep an argument going because we think we're taking important ground. If I keep defending my position, this is, I'm, it's, I'll, I'll be justified or they'll finally see the truth. I'm going to keep arguing because this, this needs to be talked about. But the only thing that's really happening in a dispute is that we're beating down the people around us. We're just beating down our relationships. Once the, once the dispute starts, the goal changes. It could be that moments ago, my goal was to express my love and my care for you as a person, and I was just like enjoying time with you, but now a dispute started, and my goal has switched. My goal now is to win. A few minutes ago was to show you love and care and respect. Now my goal is to win. And if I'm in a dispute, I'll, I'll use my voice to win. I may use my tone. I may use my infallible intelligence to make sure that I win this dispute. I may even use insults. And all of it's justified because the goal is to win. If we don't see this the same, my goal is to win. The other person at the other end of the argument is less important than that goal. And the re I know this is true. I don't know if you've been in a situation where you've been in an argument and then you realize kind of in the middle, you're like, oh man, actually, I might be wrong here. You, re you start realizing I, I was off track. Yeah, but once you're, once you're arguing, you can't back down. Like, you can't admit that you were wrong even a little bit. Even if you have a little bit, there's no way I'm going to admit to that. The war is already on. If I admit to any wrong, that works against my goal of winning. Even, even, if, even if you prove me wrong, I still might choose not to see it. So disputes and quarrels are very destructive to people. That's why, I think that's why Paul says to solemnly charge people not to fight about words. Kind of another branch of this idea, there's a lot of controversy about even some words in the Bible. And, for example, what, what does the word pastor mean? And can, can a pastor be both men or can a pastor be a woman? This is like a really big argument in some denominations right now. Christians can argue about those things. They can argue about issues related to salvation, how one becomes saved. Uh, Christians might argue about when Jesus is going to come back for the second time, or issues related to tribulation. There's a lot of words in the Bible that can be the source of fighting about words. And 
I actually think that matters of truth, like big issues like that, big issues of truth in Christianity are particularly in Paul's mind when he writes this, than when he's saying not to fight about words. But you think, man, shouldn't we fight about those things, though? Shouldn't we fight for truth, so to speak? Well, the next verse, he says this in verse 15. It says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. So clearly, knowing the truth, knowing what is real and true according to the Bible, and being able to teach it correctly is really important. The ESV translation puts this, um, that we're able to rightly handle the word of truth. So we, we, we really ought to know our Bibles inside and out and confidently live accordingly to them. We ought to know for ourselves what does God say clearly about pastors and men and women and matters of salvation and every essential belief. We really ought to know that and be able to articulate that well. But rightly handling the Bible doesn't mean we get to mishandle people. <laughs> Even if we have a really good idea about what it says, we can't handle the Bible and mishandle people. It's never okay to smash the Bible over people's head. Like, it's good for you. <laughs> it's, it's the Bible, after all. No, the implication, I think, of this verse is that if we get into fights about words, even if we're so sure they're true, we may end up standing before God ashamed and miss out on being an approved worker. The next verse, he says, 16, avoid irreverent and empty speech. So this is kind of another flavor of what he's saying. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and are ruining the faith of some. So irreverent and empty speech. When I, th when I think of those words, I th it, my mind first goes to social media, like Facebook and Instagram. I don't know how many petty arguments you've seen <laughs> fly back and forth on, online, and you know, things get posted, and uh, sometimes, sometimes you see these arguments play out, or maybe you've been in an argument online or on a, over a text message or something like that, and nobody's willing to give it up. There's every, everyone wants the last word. You know, you are, there's no way you're going to let that person make the last jabbing comment. In a situation like that, how much love is flowing between human beings? No, it's like this verse says, it, it will produce even more godlessness. The more irreverent and empty the speech is, the more it just, it grows in godlessness. The Greek word for that kind of speech, when it talks about speech right here, it means uh, pointless, impure, worldly ways of talking. And this, this kind of just pointless, impure speech, I've, I've even seen in myself at home. Sometimes I get sucked into a petty argument, and I, I'll tell you, I'll just tell you, I've, I've said things at home a pastor should not say, <laughs> that, that I would be horrified if some of my stupid arguments were captured on video and played at church. I, I have ruined many date nights. <laughs> I have, I, with worthless, pointless speech, I... You know, there's lots of days that start out great and get really off track. So I've seen firsthand in my own relationships, if the dispute goes on, more godlessness grows. Even, even in my own relationships, like it just, what spins off is now bitterness spins off. Now unforgiveness starts growing. Now there's more conflict. 
and the spreading of destruction eats away at the unity and the trust and the goodwill. Like, I, I want relationships that are, that are, you know, unified and there's trust there, but all of this kind of speech that we easily slip into, it just starts eating away at that. Like gangrene, which in the, in the next, this, this verse talks about that, that this, it can turn into like gangrene. There's two guys in particular that he mentions where they're, they're empty, worldly talks spread. And gangrene, uh, I thought about showing a picture. I'm not going to because as soon as I saw a picture, I said, there's no way anybody needs to look at that this morning. It's super gross. In fact, it's so gross, you're like, wow, is that really in the Bible? They used that word? Like, it's disgusting. Gangrene is um, flesh-eating infection. It just eats away at your body and your skin. It's really, well, it gets gross. And that's the word that's used for this kind of talk that we all very easily slip into. And it's amazing to me that something so destructive, like just impure speech and disputes, is so destructive, but how is it so contagious? How does it spread so easily? Shouldn't we know that like this is damaging relationships and people know it's, it's like there's an internal force pulling us towards disputing, keeping up the argument, and just throwing out another jab. And these two guys that are referenced here, especially related they, they, they talked this way in relation to their religious beliefs. And they got really off track. It says they departed from the truth. And so the kind of things that they were talking about were, it was going against the word of God. And it says they were ruining the faith of some. And when I first, you know, when I first studied this passage and I looked at that, that sort of distressed me when I thought, man, these, these guys that are pushing error, it's, it's actually ruining some people's faith. These people that are being really, really pushy about their wrong beliefs are, in a way, succeeding. Like, what they're pushing is wrong and empty. It's not true, but they're gaining influence. Like, people are buying it, obviously, and it's spreading. Like, shouldn't that be stopped? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't we really come against that? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Maybe, maybe you've seen someone um, promoting a really popular idea. Um, maybe, and, and you thought it was off track, maybe a really popular idea about health or food or some idea about parenting um, or, or somebody about how Christians ought to live or something about social justice or racism or just some issues. You saw somebody pushing something and you're like, that's not true. You know, these people, the, the, the things that they're pushing, they have departed from the truth. And then, and then you see some people buy into it. You're like, oh my goodness, they're, they're gaining influence. Like it's, Perhaps, perhaps it's even ruining the faith of some, and you see these wrong ideas going on. And the thing that helped de-stress my stress when I read that is the next verse, verse 19. Paul writes, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, The Lord knows who, those who are his, and let everyone who calls in the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. So I'll explain what this means. If you were to imagine someone turning away from the faith, maybe they start out and they're starting to like inquire about putting their faith in Christ, and they turn away from that, that's one of the worst possible results. If you've ever seen someone apostatize or deconstruct their faith, that can be really, really distressing, especially if it's due to the spread of destructive teaching. 
And the glorious truth in this passage right here, just this one verse, is that God has already determined who is going to enter his kingdom. So if you were to imagine a huge stone building with a huge foundation beneath it. It's talking about you know, God's solid foundation. This is, this is a reference to the church. This, is, this represents all of the true followers of Jesus. And there's a phrase chiseled into the foundation of God's you know, glory stone church. And it says, the Lord knows who are his, those who are his. Even if some stray away from the truth, we can be confident that every true believer will turn from their wickedness. This gives a lot of hope. And this means, the other thing is this means we don't have to win every argument against every false idea, which is honestly a big relief. I'm glad it's not our job to go around arguing and correcting every corrupt person that you come across to make sure everyone sees, like, you know, we've got to prove everybody right according to the Bible. It's not our job, fortunately. Actually, we're, the thing that we're commanded to do is the opposite. At the beginning of this section, it says, avoid irreverent and empty speech, meaning stay away, stay out of it. In fact, you know, you don't have to dive headlong into the arguments. No, he says, avoid it. In verses 20 and 21, the next few verses, the idea is expressed that if we avoid the corrupting influence of contentious people who have strayed from the truth, that preserves us to be useful and pleasing to God. Verse 21 puts it this way. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. God can really use us if we keep ourselves out of of the destructive arguments and disputes. And the idea, here's the idea. If we stand before God, ultimately, we make it through our lives, we stand before God, we don't have to be ashamed that he'd be pleased with us because we stayed out of the filth of all that quarreling and the empty talk. So I'm going to turn to, we're going to look at the last few verses, but the, last, the next few verses get really practical about how, do, how would you, how do you avoid quarreling? Maybe, I don't know if you're a person that you feel like you do easily get into arguments, or maybe it's really hard for you to let one go once it starts. Like, man, it's like, how do I backtrack if I need to get out of this? Or maybe you feel contentious or... Or maybe you just know somebody that's really argumentative, and you're going to give them the paper afterwards. <laughs> you can write down notes for them. Now, I'd recommend um, looking, looking through these, but one real big idea that I think covers probably this whole message is that here's what we need to do is we need to love the person more than you love winning the argument. Love the person more than you love winning the argument. I think probably everybody here loves to win an argument that's why we do it. That's why we push it. But again, that goal changes where we start loving to win more than we love that person. And I don't, I don't know what feels like comes naturally for you, but look at what it says in verse 22. Paul writes, flee from youthful passions. There's a lot of passions that we have that start in youth. By the way, youthful passions are not passions that end in youth. They start in youth and you usually have them through the rest of your life. So there's a lot of them. You probably know some of them, but I think one of them are, are these urge, this urge to um, say whatever we want or to, in pride, and pride is a huge one that really drives a lot of this. So flee the, the youthful passions and instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace 
along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Love for people must be the true motivator for us. So when you realize that maybe you've gotten into a dispute, it's very hard to change that goal, you know, mid-argument. To, to go from, my goal is from winning, now, now I need to figure out, how am I going to start expressing love to this person? Really, really what it is, when, when we dispute and argue and quarrel about words, um, both people have weapons. Both people are shooting at each other. And it's with words, it's a tone. As soon as there is just any kind of, um, if the love has already drained out, the weapons are up. And you can't hold both at the same time. So you either hang on to love or you hang on to your weapons. So we gotta put the weapons down. I may, you know, the crazy thing is, sometimes when we argue, I, I may feel totally rational and justified while I'm arguing. But you know, you know there's something very different about the atmosphere of a relationship during a dispute. If you're sitting with somebody, you either feel on guard and, and on edge and hesitant, or you feel like there's trust and they're really for you. But it doesn't, they, don't, they don't go together, it's one or the other. You can, you can feel the difference in the atmosphere of a relationship. When the love has drained out, it needs to be refilled. The other thing is to, for us, we really ought to resist the urge to dispute. Those urges are pretty strong. Paul writes, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes. Which, by the way, if, you, if, it's like, if, it didn't, if it wasn't clear before now at this point in the chapter, he says it again using different words. Reject foolish and ignorant disputes. Which means have nothing to do with it. Like, just like stop he says because you know that they breed quarrels and there's no good absolutely is useless what you maybe you need maybe you just need to like put a piece of tape over your mouth maybe you need to walk maybe i need to walk away i guess yeah. at a certain point we just need to stop talking really be aware of that that strong temptation to, to defend to counter argument or or to react in some way it says reject reject that and then on the positive side of things, here's what it says. Uh, we, we need to be kind and gentle in every single conversation. Verse 24 and 25 says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. That phrase, able to teach, in the middle of that, it means, again, there really is a, there is a, there is a high premium on truth. We, we really need to be grounded in the truth and able to teach it accurately. There's a high value of knowing and living by the word and being able to instruct others in the right way. But it must be saturated in love. So the bar here for us, I think, is set pretty high. Kindness and gentleness in every conversation. I don't know, can you do that? Do you think you could go a whole day with every conversation being totally guided by kindness and gentleness. I mean, that, that feels like a high bar to me. <laughs> that's, that's intense. He says, you know, gentle to everyone. So not even, not even just the people you like. Gentle to everyone, able to teach patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. So I think the reason this fits well in this series called Risk and Reward is because if, you, if you're going to do what God says here in the Bible, you're facing a risk, and the risk is that you lose an argument here and there. 
you know, the risk of doing it God's way is maybe you let someone else have the last word. Maybe, maybe you're in a discussion and it turns into a dispute and you back out and they think you're a fool. They think you're just wildly off track. Or maybe, maybe you decide not to defend yourself. And the big risk is you lose. It's, it, feel, it, feels, it feels like losing. <laughs> you know, when, when you put down the weapons, you pick up love, there's a part of it where you feel like I'm losing something here. That's the risk. But there's a, there's, there are two really big rewards if we do this, what God says. The one big one is that we maintain our honor, our holiness, and our usefulness before God. As Paul writes, you, we, we want to get where we present ourselves to God at the end of it all as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed of all those stupid, those foolish arguments, those words that I said. Actually, Jesus told us and when, when he walked the earth, he, he said that on the day of judgment, men will be accountable for every careless word they have spoken, which is a little horrifying to think about. Like getting to heaven, if, if we're, the way I understand that, we get to heaven and we're going to have a tape recorder played back for us. We're going to be accountable of every foolish word. And uh, I'm going to try to limit that, <laughs> as, that tape recorder as much as possible. Um, but that's one, one big reward is that we can maintain our usefulness before God. The other amazing reward to avoiding disputes is that gentle, corrective instruction might lead others to salvation. It just might lead others out of satanic bondage. This last verse here is staggering to me. It says, if we, do, if we do that, kindness and gentleness, instructing his opponents with gentleness, it says this. Perhaps, if we go to the next slide real quick, or it might be on your handout as well. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. This verse gives me a lot of compassion for people that have strayed from the truth. I'm sure you know people who are living and you're like, it's totally wrong. Like you're seeing it wrong. Your perspective's off. The way, the way you're trying to put life together is not working and you don't know it. And this gives me comp compassion. This says that those people have been deceived by Satan. They're captives, they're prisoners, and they're pawns because these deceived captives are just being moved around by Satan. It says he, they, they've been, who has taken them captive to do his will. Actually, the truth is, that's all of us. Before, we, before we're set free by Jesus Christ, before we put our faith in him and receive the Holy Spirit so that we can finally see truth and fear the Lord rightly, that's where we are. We're trapped, we're, we're trapped captured, um, we have not come to our senses, and we're, we're just pawns of Satan. So, you know, you might see that contentious, disputing, argumentative person on the outside, but they're really prisoners in a spiritual sense. And if our goal is truly to love people, then we'll be kind and gentle. And when this, if love guides our speech, it's powerful. You think, you think like, I need to show them that I need to show them truth. I'm going to go in with my guns blazing as, with as much force. Like, no, that's, that's not the power. The power is in the love and the kindness and the gentleness. It says, when we do kindness and gentleness, God may grant repentance. God can use our kindness and our love mixed with an accurate teaching, knowing the truth well, 
to stir up repentance in a person, and then he will enlighten them with true knowledge. So if you look at those three ideas, I've, uh, this last slide is just some possible next steps. These are some of the things I've taken out of this passage, and I explained all of these, but maybe one of these is something that would be helpful for you to really maybe write down somewhere, start doing this week, maybe to, to love the person more than you love winning the argument. Um, or resist the urge to dispute. And memorize one of these verses in here to help with that. Or be kind and gentle in every single conversation. And along with that, maybe a prayer, a daily prayer that God would help you, strengthen you, give you the grace to live that out. When it comes to disputes and quarrels, the true reward doesn't come from being right. It feels like being right is the goal. And them knowing that I'm right is the goal. The goal is not to win the argument. The goal is to win people's hearts. We want to win we want to win people over, win people win over a brother or sister. Actually, there, there's no point in winning an argument if you haven't won their heart first. If you've won an argument, what have you really gained? I wonder how many times I've won an argument with my wife, but lost trust and closeness in the process, and actually just set us back. I'm sure I can't, I'm sure I can't count how many times I've done that. So we're going to continue our study in 2 Timothy next week. We're going to look more. Um, This is the series Risk and Reward. And if we're going to follow Jesus until the very end of it all, we may face another risk. It's loneliness and isolation. And that's an idea that comes through pretty strong at the end of this letter. And if we endure that, if we do endure loneliness and isolation, that comes with a pretty amazing reward that I'm looking forward to talking about next week. So I hope you come back for that. I'm also really looking forward Two weeks from now, Barry had mentioned we're going to start a new sermon series called The Usual Suspects. And this is going to be a deep look both into the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, there's, there's some amazing themes that come out of Scripture uh, that have really, there's been some ideas that have really been life-changing for me. My understanding of the foolish strategies that I operate with that just cause me problems on the daily um, it's, this has been some pretty amazing perspective. And I, so it's, it's going to be very, very applicable and practical um, for anybody that comes. I'd really encourage you to consider inviting somebody. And we left a box on your connection card. If, if you've been thinking about somebody you might want to invite and you want to just let us know, hey, I'm going to invite somebody. We'll pray for you and for that person that you'd like to invite to church. You can write that on your connection card. Um, but I hope you join us for that. It'll be a, a great way to kick off a new series in the middle of September. So I hope you come back. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning, this chance to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and also those that are learning what it means to follow you, what it means to surrender their life to you and to live with you as, as Lord and Savior. And the things we talked about today, sometimes it's, it's hard to figure out how to, how to work things like this into our lives. But I pray, Lord, that this truth that we looked at, these verses and the, the exact words in the scripture would come to mind this week as, as we relate to the people you put around us. You've given us um, spouses or children, coworkers and neighbors, people, people to interact with every day. And you're pleased when we relate in kindness and gentleness. And we're ready with truth at the right time to share in a very life-giving way. I pray that you'd lead us forward, give us the grace to... to be approved workers 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.